Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, presented by Conserve the Wild, your destination for an unfiltered look at conservation. Now let's get wild. It can be um, kind of kind of fun and exciting for us, you know, when you're in the heat of the, the rut and, you know, the elk are out there doing their thing, for us to be able to explain and encourage to those in attendance, just stop talking and simply listen. And that's when you're going to learn the most about what's going on out in those fields. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast presented by Conserve the Wild. I'm your host, Jason Creighton, and this is episode number 72, Conserving Pennsylvania Elk. Now, in today's episode, I'm going to be talking with three members of the Keystone Elk Country Alliance, and joining me are the Operations Manager, Carla Whaler, the Conservation Education Coordinator, Ben Porkalab and the Conservation Education Specialist, Russell Wheeler. And during this conversation, Car- Carla and Ben and Russell are going to share how, the, how Kika got started, what the organization's mission is, how we got elks, uh, the, the PA elk herd, back in Pennsylvania, and what goes into managing the population as well. And then we're also going to touch on the educational outreach of Kika, which hits home to my heart being a teacher, and why it's important to spread the message of elk conservation outside of just the elk range. So let's dive right into today's episode. All right, welcome back, everyone. Uh, This is, uh, in the recording time of this, this is a good day for me because I've taken a field trip on a work day. (laughs) So um, this is uh, a good field trip for me. I am currently sitting with three members of the Keystone Elk Country Alliance, and uh, we're going to highlight some of the real good work they're doing today, as you heard in the intro. Uh, So how are all three of you doing? Wonderful. Fantastic. Hey, um, and then just as if we're dealing poker, if you could each uh, just say your name. Uh, well. My name is Russell Wheeler. My name is Ben Porkalob. And I'm Carla Whaler. Okay, so now everyone can put a voice with uh, the intro. Um, so we got to start off, if we're talking about the Elk Country Alliance, um, we sort of have to start off with the, the origins. What is the Elk Country Alliance um, and you know, What's sort of the area that we sort of do work in and, and that kind of thing? So the Keystone Elk Country Alliance is a 501c3 nonprofit wildlife conservation organization. And we began out of necessity. Um, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania was um, in the process of, of building this amazing facility, and they needed a nonprofit partner. Um, so we began uh, starting the organization in 2009, and um, final designation of our nonprofit came in February of 2010. So we, we were created basically because we wanted to be the private partner to the Commonwealth um, to run this facility. And as we're sitting in the facility now, and this is now my second time here um, after being a visitor in uh, September of 2020, uh, 
It's absolutely beautiful. It, it, it's amazing the, uh, I guess, artifacts that are in here, um, the educational aspects to it. Um, you know, the gift shop is has some great stuff that I have to point out is very reasonably priced because a lot of times you go into a place and you're like, oh, I really like this shirt, and it's $45, and that's it's very reasonable up here. So it, I'm amazed with how awesome it is up here. So our, our name, um, the Elk Country Visitor Center, can sometimes be a little misleading. Um, when people think about a visitor center, they typically think about brochures and, and information, and that's it. And we are so much more than that. Um, you know, as you talked about the gift shop, um, one of the things that we're proudest of is everything in the gift shop is made in the United States of America. So that's pretty cool. And then, you know, like I said, we're not a, a paper visitor center. We're not just somewhere that you come to to pick up brochures. Um, we are we are the place that you're going to come to to find out everything you need to know about elk and wildlife and Pennsylvania wilds and everything that's really cool to see in this area. Well, I'm glad you brought up Pennsylvania Wilds because, I mean, yes, the, anyone who thinks of, of elk in Pennsylvania um, and in broad strokes thinks of the Elk Country Alliance, you're thinking of this visitor center because it really is sort of like that main monument to what's going on up here, but it's really not just this little area, right? There's all kinds of different places you can go, to see elk outside of just these viewing areas. Yeah, so, you know, the elk range is growing yearly. Um, not just the population of the elk herd um, has increased, but also the range. Currently, the elk are living and doing well in 10 counties in Pennsylvania, and the elk range covers 1,000 square miles. Um, and now the elk herd is at about 1,500 animals. They do a population count every winter, so that's pretty accurate as well and, and up to date. Um, so yeah, you know, talking about the center, I, I guess I'd like to also, you know, mention, I mean, not only just the artifacts, but also there's interactive displays here. Um, it's There's a lot for kids to do here at the Elk Country Visitor Center. Um, we have a spectacular 4D theater um, that people can experience. And I'm not going to say watch because it's more than just watching a movie. There are things that happen during the movie. The production company that we worked with um, actually did some work for Disney. So um, it, it's pretty cool. Huh. So... You talk about those educational stuff. I mean, what what's the mission? What what is it that that the Elk Country Alliance is is? What's their goal? What what are you guys trying to do on a daily, yearly, monthly, all that basis? So the mission statement of the Keystone Elk Country Alliance is to protect and conserve um, Pennsylvania's elk herd pennsylvania's elk range for future generations um we do that three ways number one is conservation education number two is habitat improvement and number three is land preservation and that's all within the P pennsylvania elk range so talk about how big that that elk range is is like are we are we hoping to expand that range uh to get because obviously once you get so many elk in a certain area, they're going to start dispersing and, and increase. I mean, I'm assuming that's a goal to increase the numbers and expand the range. Am I correct in assuming that? You are. Now, at some point, there's 
may be no more room for expansion. Um, elk require a lot of space. Mm-hmm. They're similar to white-tailed deer, yet very different as well. A white-tailed deer's home range is going to be three or four square miles, whereas a bull elk's home range is up to 25 square miles. You're also looking at a bull elk can eat up to 25 pounds a day. So elk do not do well where there is a lot of people. Um, elk require a lot of space. Elk require a lot of food. And the elk are living and thriving where they are in Pennsylvania because it is a very uninhabited area. A lot of public ground, not a lot of people. So back to your question. Is the elk uh, range growing? And if yes, in which direction? Um, the elk are moving, I shouldn't say moving, spreading to the east and to the north which is wonderful. Um, It's a good place for them. There's lots of public ground, lots of wilderness. Um, They are not moving to the south and west, and that is by design. Um, To the west and to the south of the Elk Range, there are a lot of people, and there's a lot of private ground. Um, The Pennsylvania current elk hunt um, keeps them from going south and west. There is a zone, zone one, And anybody that draws an elk tag can hunt their zone plus zone one. So that's what keeps the elk from moving in that direction, and it has been very effective. I I hear that. uh, I hear you saying that we're trying to prevent them from going south and west because there's more people, more private land, um, which makes sense. I have to admit I'm a little disappointed because <laughs> we have uh, disappointed yet at the same time relieved, honestly, um, because, you know, my family owns 70 acres in Jefferson County that is west. Um, it would be as, as it would be cool to be sitting in my deer stand or archery or whatever it is for deer and watch an elk walk by. But knowing how much they eat, um, knowing how little food that we feel like we have available, even just for the deer, obviously there's going to be some a little bit of competition there. Um, so, you know, <laughs> and, and also considering agriculture, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the fact that when elk enter an agricultural area, a cornfield, something like that, they can do tremendous amounts of damage. Um, so, you know, crop damage is something that unfortunately happens and there's things that we can do to make that not happen, but that's part of the goal is to keep them also away from those agricultural areas. So that leads me to think, how are the local people? I mean, it, it's this area of Pennsylvania is largely uninhabited, not uninhabited, but it, it's, <laughs> you know, there, there are obviously fewer people in the Elk Range than there are in southwestern Pennsylvania, central, you know, and then obviously out east as well. So the people that do live here, how are they responding to elk moving into their area that they live? Well, I, I live about um, two miles away, so I can tell you firsthand that, you know, they can certainly create issues. Um, you know, they're, they're heavy animals. If they come into your, your yard, they're going to do a lot of damage. Um, you know, their scat piles are pretty huge. Um, but if you want to, you can adapt to that. You know, if people want to have a garden, they fence it. If they, you know, you learn not to plant things that the elk are going to be drawn to. So there's ways that you can coexist if you want to. Quite honestly, a lot like deer, too. I mean, deer are everywhere. If you're planting a garden and you're not fencing it, 
unless you're in downtown Pittsburgh, which would be hard to plant a garden anyways, um, you know, deer are going to come into your garden. So yeah, that, that all makes sense, a whole lot of sense. So I, I have to ask, and the reason why I have to ask is because I did get a, a crash course in the PowerPoint before we talked. Um, originally, the elk, and correct me if I'm wrong, but originally the elk that were in Pennsylvania were eastern elk. The, the original native species of elk in Pennsylvania were eastern woodland elk. And um, at one time, there were over 100,000, and they could be found in every county. And they're no longer even, it, that's an extinct subspecies of elk now, correct? It is. The last one was killed in the 1860s um, due to overhunting and habitat loss. Um, back then, there was a thing called market hunting, mm-hmm. where people could kill as many animals as they wanted any day of the year, and then in turn, they could sell that meat to restaurants. So that was the devastation of the eastern woodland elk. Um, elk meat is very delicious, and there was a lot of market hunting on the Pennsylvania eastern woodland elk at that time. Um, like I said, the last one was killed in the 1860s, and it was killed right here in Elk County. Oh, really? Okay. I'd say that's information I didn't know. Okay, so what 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 subspecies of elk do we have in Pennsylvania now? Rocky Mountain elk. Okay, and then when did they, when did we, obviously we had to bring them back, right? They didn't just decide to migrate from the Rocky Mountains and cross all that terrain and get here. So how and when did we bring elk back into Pennsylvania? So thanks to the Pennsylvania Game Commission, which is the state agency that manages all the birds and mammals in the state, they were founded in 1895. One of their very first goals was to bring elk back to Pennsylvania because it was a native species. So from 1913 to 1926, they live-trapped 177 Rocky Mountain elk out west and brought them here by train and released them in wild parts of our state, which this happens to be one of them. So I don't know how much of this is folklore, but this is the story that I've heard. They brought the elk by train over from, what, uh, Colorado, Wyoming? And South Dakota. And South Dakota. And then the townspeople helped unload the elk and walk them down Main Street to the woods. <laughs> That's the story that I've heard. <laughs> I've never heard that version before. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I, we actually do have some pictures, some original black and white photos of the Pennsylvania Game Commission and some volunteers mm-hmm. releasing them out of horse-drawn wagons into, like I said, some of these remote areas, um, you know, not yeah. too far from here. So, okay, at this point now, we have a, a large enough herd of elk that we can sustainably hunt, and some cases to control where mm-hmm. their spread is to control the population. When did the hunting season start? And then my other question is, how much of an issue, and I know this is more of a question for the Game Commission, but how much was of a, was there an issue of poaching before that hunting season started? So the current Pennsylvania elk hunt began about 20 years ago. Um, each year they do a population count, typically February, March, and based on that population of elk, um, they come up with a number in certain areas of the state where they're going to allot a certain number of tags in order to keep that population at a healthy number. Um, this year there were 164 elk tags. So 
when they first reintroduced reintroduced the elk going way back, you know, about 100 years ago, they actually allowed hunting at the beginning. Oh. And um, so that population did not grow from 177 animals from then until now. It had its ups and downs. And I will say, you know, we were talking about human-elk conflict. Carla was talking about... Um, you know, a lot of elk are killed um, over the years on farmer in farms because of crop damage. There was actually a quite a bit of that about 30 years ago. That has improved. And once again, I have to give credit to the Pennsylvania Game Commission, as well as DCNR, and as well as um, organizations such as ours. Um, I think a lot of the improvement there is so elk get into people's you know property. They devastate. Um, cornfields, they devastate crops, they devastate landscaping, they devastate golf courses. Mm-hmm. Well, um, Pennsylvania Game Commission, DCNR, and other organizations such as ours has put a lot of time, money, and effort into establishing food plots, um, forage plots, away from populated areas, which helps to draw the elk and hold the elk in areas where they're not going to get into trouble. Yeah, that that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, I didn't I didn't realize that they 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 were allowed to be hunted in those early early years. Um, that's that's interesting. That's very interesting. Yeah, the the modern day, as we'll call it, hunt um, began again in two thousand and one, and you know again out of necessity for for an event to have that draw take place in the public eye. Um, the Elk Expo was created, which is an event that we still hold here um, at the Elk Country Visitor Center every August, and it's where the Pennsylvania Game Commission's license drawing takes place. Yeah, 164 licenses this past year. I continue to not draw one um, <laughs> as I sit here socially distanced with someone who did and was successful. Um, you know, one one of these years, one of these years. Um, uh, and if nothing else, in my mind, you know, it, it's not expensive to to put in for the draw. It's what ten dollars and ninety cents or something $11 like that. Eleven dollars. Yep. Um, you know, so that's money that's being put to good use by adding these food plots and, and you know forage areas for elk and things. That's that's the way I look at it. And then on top of that, so we already mentioned that you know the elk hunt is important to keep the elk population at a healthy number. Yes, the, the elk population is growing, but we don't want it to grow too fast um, for numerous reasons. And then, like you said, there is a lot of money that is taken in um, from people that try to put their names into drawing a tag. And then also, and this is something a lot of people don't realize, each elk that is taken during the elk hunt has to be checked in. And they are testing for brucellosis, tuberculosis, chronic wasting disease, brain worm. Um, they are taking blood samples. They are taking pregnancy a f- rates. Pregnancy rates. They are checking for you know if they're healthy as far as fat um, on them going into the winter months. So they are doing a lot of research to help to keep the herd healthy, healthy. Um, in conjunction mm-hmm. with the the taking of elk during the elk hunt. Oh, that's that that's very good to hear that's um you know the more information you can have the the better you can uh, make decisions on allotment of tags and, right. and things like that that that's great 
Um, one of the things that you mentioned in the in the mission was conservation education, uh, which is the reason why I got in contact with you, uh, because I'm a teacher, and I, when I came up here with my wife, I grabbed some brochures about the uh, virtual field trip that you can take um, to give that information to other teachers in my district that that fits their concept a little bit better or their classes a little bit better than it does mine. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about how that works, um, how much does it cost, those kinds of things, so that if there's a teacher or a parent of a child um, that would be interested in having their class do this, um, they would have some information to give to the teacher or to use themselves. Absolutely, Jason. So first of all, I want to let everybody know that I was a school teacher for 22 years. I, I was an elementary school teacher, and I've been here um, as the conservation education coordinator for two and a half years. And I can honestly say that this program, this distance learning program, is exceptional. It meets a lot of Pennsylvania state science standards. We can adapt it to any grade level any age level, I should say. Um, just this week, we taught it to an assisted living um, care facility with uh, seniors, as well as a nursing home. So it doesn't have to be just be um, school students. We've delivered it to Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, civic groups, um, college, students. college students. So um, next week, I think we have preschool. Um, so we've done pretty much all ages. Um, like I said, it meets the Pennsylvania state standards. It is free, thanks to our donors. We have some wonderful donors that are very generous, that cover the cost of this program. Um, we use Zoom uh, to connect. It is live. Ahead of time, we send an elk trunk to the location. Um, in that elk trunk, there's an elk skull, an elk hide, an elk antler, among other things, so that the participants can put their hands on some items and actual, actually, you know, experience and see, feel, touch um, these items that we're talking about um, during the program. The program is about 40 minutes in length. It covers elk history. It covers the Pennsylvania elk herd, and um, it compares white-tailed deer to Rocky Mountain elk. It's a great program. We now have five trunks. Last year, we taught about 3,200 uh, participants last year alone. So, yeah, it's great. Uh, if anybody has any questions about that, they can get my information on our website, experienceelkcountry.com. Um, I highly recommend it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely put a link to the, to that website uh, in the show notes, so if anyone's interested, they can click down there. But this isn't even, like, specific to just Pennsylvania. Um, you've taught people outside of Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, we've actually delivered this distance learning program now to about 50 counties in Pennsylvania. Every year it, it grows, and um, we've also taught it now. I think we're up to 11 or 12 other states and we actually taught it last week to some students in British Columbia, Canada. That's awesome. That's great. Okay, so any of you that are listening that uh, do not live in Pennsylvania, this is also for you as well. Um, you know, just reach out and um, you can experience that. So you, know, you are, as a group, a, a, a nonprofit. Money is always tight for nonprofits. 
um, because you know you're not working for a profit. Um, and then uh, with the current climate, I'm sure you know with COVID and everything, some of that might be even a little bit tougher. Um, so one of the ways that you're able to operate is by having volunteers and having an internship program. So can we talk a little bit about that internship program? What's it like? Um, you know, how long is it? Who's it offered for? Questions similar. Absolutely. Um, so we'll go back to the volunteers. First of all, we have at the Keystone Elk Country Alliance over 200 active volunteers. We're membership based, but volunteer driven. Um, we also have a volunteer house. If people volunteer here at the center for six hours, they are able to stay a night at the volunteer house, which is beautiful. And it's right in downtown Benazet, which is only about a mile from here. With a beautiful, is that wood carving elk yes. in it front? Is. It's actually white oak. It's quite a carving. Yes. Um, and then you mentioned the internship program. So we work closely with uh, Penn State University. Um, the internship program is for students that are attending Penn State University Du Bois campus. They have a great program with wildlife technology there. It's a two-year program. And each year we get a batch of interns from Penn State Du Bois that come up here during the rut, which is September and October, when we need help the most because that's when we have thousands of people here visiting because like, that is a very exciting time yeah, to see the elk. Thousands of people like me. Yeah. <laughs> so usually we have between four and eight um, interns from Penn State Du Bois. Um, our education specialist, Russ Wheeler, who's sit, uh, sitting here near me, um, was one of our interns. And then he got a position here, a seasonal position through the Pennsylvania Game Commission. And now he's our education specialist. So I'd like him to say a few words about the internship program, what he thinks of it, and how that has helped him in his, uh, I guess, past few years. Yeah. Um, this has pretty much been my uh, life for the past two years. Uh, you know, coming up through Penn State and first time I met Ben, uh, we were at a job, uh, I guess it was a job meeting. Job career. Career fair. Career fair at uh, at Penn State Du Bois, and uh, I sat down at the table, and we immediately started talking hunting and elk, and he, just, he told me, he's like, oh, are you interested in being an intern? I was like, oh, yeah, sure. Um, and that's kind of how we got everything kicked off. Um, everybody I've worked up here with is amazing, uh, super helpful. Everybody helps everybody, and I think that's one of the reasons why I decided to, you know, stay with it as long as I did. Um, during the internship, you know, we had a log book, and it really helped me prepare for what I'm doing now. Uh, I got to see the impromptu programs. Uh, we have a weekend program that every intern has to do. Um, I have a interesting background. Uh, dealing with snakes, and uh, we had a pretty big uh, weekend program that weekend when I did mine. Uh, I had some live snakes with me, and I had about 150 people in our eco building, which is our Elk Country Campus Outdoors. Uh, we hold banquets, weekend programs, weddings, that sort of thing out, about, out back there. And, you know, the building was packed. It was a great, uh, great experience for me. It gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and you know, from then on, I was like, "Hey, I can, I can do this. <laughs> I can do this kind of thing all the time." Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, 
going through the, with the game commission then. Uh, Carla kind of called me uh, in June after I graduated from uh, Penn State Du Bois and would you be interested in uh, <laughs> coming up here and working for the game commission? I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, send me the application. She's like, all right, well, you're here. I was like, oh, okay. So, <laughs> well, and, and part of the thing with, <clears throat> with the intern program that's exciting for us is um, the networking aspect. Um, here at the Keystone Isle Country Alliance, we have a lot of partners that we work with. We work closely with the Pennsylvania Game Commission, Department of Conservation and Natural Resources, and other organizations. So as these interns are here at the at the Elk Country Visitor Center, you know, completing their hours, they're they're able to network with these other organizations. It brings them opportunity to, you know, help with their career path. Which way are they going to go? Which which things would benefit them, you know, in their future years of schooling? It gives them opportunities to gain a lot of knowledge and um, meet a lot of people that in turn. You know, we're very fortunate that our interns are able to then move on to positions yes. with whether it be these other organizations or with ourselves as Kika. We've hired, you know, quite a few of these folks, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it, it's cool to be able to keep those people in-house mm-hmm. um, like Absolutely. with Russ. But then at the same time, it's, it's cool to see them go to a different organization, but yet still work with them right. um, to benefit the cause. Uh, Russ, i got to ask, how, how many hours were you required to do? Uh, 60 hours. How many hours did you do? Uh, I think it ended up being 127. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For for the people listening, we talked about that um, earlier. And, and, you know, it's just whenever you can find yourself doing something that you really enjoy, it's easy to put in those extra hours. Um, So it's, it's fun for me to see someone who's younger than me find something they like to do and say, you know what, I like it so much that I'm going to do over double the amount of work that I actually am required to do because I just enjoy being there. Yeah, and it, and it shows us the passion that some of these students have, and it allows us to kind of pick the cream of the crop <laughs> for, for upcoming positions. So certainly, um, you know, a worthwhile endeavor for both them and us. So is there a set number of interns that you try to get every year or... Well, we we like to get at least five, and then I would say that we would probably take as many as ten, possibly twelve, but twelve would be tough. So probably eight to ten is ideal. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I mean, what, so you mentioned you know the the weekend experiences that you know shows that you're putting on. Like what when you're working, what are you doing? So when we're working here, it's uh, anything from being up at the front desk at uh, the information table, uh, answering questions about, hey, where can we see elk, or uh, to anything as simple as, hey, where's the bathroom, which you just pointed over the <laughs> shoulder there for you, um, to walking the trails, uh, making sure people don't go out into the field chasing after the elk. And you, people might think, oh, that doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> we, we've had to run out uh, a couple times. And... You know, you're always working. Plus, you get to talk to so many great people up here. You know, thousands of people come up here every year, and everybody was like, oh, there's so many people up here, so many people up here. When I first started, I'm like, oh, it can't be that many. And I was wrong. Um, <laughs> you, you talk to some absolutely amazing people, and, you know, I frequently get the thing, how do you do it all the time? How do you just go out and talk about elk? Well, I enjoy it. Um, you know, some people, they're like, well, what about the people that are rude, this and that? And, 
you don't really have that many people that are super rude to you. Um, it's just all about how you come across. And the more and more you talk to people, the better you get at it. And, you know, it's, you, you learn things, you know, talking to people from, you know, other side of the United States, uh, different countries. We had a lot of people from different countries come in. Um, it's just cool to see other people's reaction to seeing elk as well. Um, you know, you hear bugling and it still gets me excited, but seeing that little kid that's about, you know, 20 yards down the path from you and get all excited. Oh, and you have that little look with uh, shock and excitement and that, that makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. I feel like most people, obviously not everyone, but I feel like most people really aren't rude intentionally. It's probably more of just um, out of essentially ignorance, not understanding the way that wildlife function, um, you know, and how you should actually interact with wildlife. I feel like that would probably be, I, I feel like there's very few people that are running out into the field to try to pet an elk um, out of malice. They're doing it because the closest they've ever come to a wild animal is at the Pittsburgh Zoo, yeah. uh, for example. It, it can be um, kind of kind of fun and exciting for us you know when you're in the heat of the the rut and you know the elk are out there doing their thing for us to be able to explain and encourage to those in attendance just stop talking and simply listen and that's when you're going to learn the most about what's going on out in those fields you know hearing hearing the elk interact with each other hearing them bugle hearing them mew hearing the antlers clashing Sometimes the best thing is just to listen. Yeah. I, I, when, when my wife and I were here in September, um, we were lucky enough to hear some uh, two different bulls bugling. And I will say it took every ounce of my being not to start stalking through the woods to try to find that <laughs> elk. Because that's all I wanted to do was just see that bull uh, while it was bugling. Um, but, yeah, just to be able to stand there and to just listen to them close enough that like you could tell like I can't see it but I know it's right there somewhere that that was that was an awesome experience as someone who's never experienced that before and I'm with you I I could I could be up here every day and listen to that every day and still be in awe of of hearing that and seeing that that's yeah that's great so where are we in terms of uh goals for what we want the end of like if we could have a big goal at the end of this is where the elk herd is and this is where we want to get it to where, where does that where does that goal stop i mean there's all we've already talked about there's only so many places an elk can live in pennsylvania because of the human population there's only so many elk we can we can actively have in pennsylvania but is it possible to have is it a possible goal to have the elk mingle above the Pennsylvania and New York state border? Is that a possibility? That's probably a better question for the Pennsylvania Game Commission elk biologist. Um, I've had this conversation with him before, and he doesn't even, you know, I mean, know what the future holds for the Pennsylvania elk herd. We know that, okay, so right now we're at about 1,500 animals. Can we support more that more than that in Pennsylvania? Yes. Can we support 30,000 elk in Pennsylvania? No. Um, Pennsylvania is just, 
you know, there's there's too many people. There's too many areas where um, it is populated enough that if elk were to try to live in that area, there would be too much human-elk conflict. Um, something, you know, that we haven't talked about, Jason, that's kind of interesting is, you know, Pennsylvania isn't the only state on the East Coast that has reintroduced elk. Um, there is now a reintroduced herd in Missouri, Wisconsin, Tennessee, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, um, I believe Minnesota. So we're not the only state that has done this. We were the first state to reintroduce elk. Um, we have the second largest herd on the East Coast. The, uh, Kentucky has the most elk on the East Coast. They have about 13,000 elk. So, back to your question. Could the elk ever intermingle? Like, let's say, you know, the, the elk in Pennsylvania and the elk that are down in Kentucky. Could they ever intermingle? I suppose it's a possibility. The problem is, is there's a lot of areas between here and there that are heavily populated. Um, you know, right, right now the elk herd is not that far from uh, New York border. Are there areas in New York that could support an elk herd? I believe there is. But, once again, you know, that would be up to New York state officials. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you know, um, once again, there are also areas in New York state that are heavily pop populated. So anytime you reintroduce a species to an area, there are challenges. Um, and there has been in Pennsylvania, and the, the, it, it will continue to happen. Um, you know, as our elk herd spreads and gets into new areas, and there are people living in those areas, there will be some human elk conflict, and the best that we can do is to try to limit those. And I'm, I'm sure some of that um, working to limit those conflicts is even just educating those people. Uh, as you said, you know, putting a fence up around the garden, altering your landscaping, um, you know, to try to keep elk away, at least, you know, from having too much Yeah, don't plant something that's going to invite them onto your property and then you're going to be upset about it. So I, I'd probably, I, I would be the opposite. I would plant something <laughs> that would get the elk to just so I can see them. I, I would love to wake up, every, you know, three days a week and, and look out the, the window and, and see an elk standing there. I think that would be great. Um, but I'm I'm cut from a little bit different cloth, I guess, than some people. So one one thing that I was super excited to see in September that my wife, after I explained it, I think she got excited, was that we saw uh, two cow elk with a calf. Um, and I think there might have been, there probably was another calf or two around. We just, we only saw driving by just that one. But both cow elk had collars, GPS collars on them. Um, that's exciting to me as someone who's gone out as a volunteer with the uh, Deer Forest Study, which is between the Game Commission and Penn State. Um, do you guys get involved helping out with collaring any of the elk? or A little bit. We have, I know Carla and I have been on uh, studies with the Pennsylvania Game Commission where we've collared elk, where we've done calf captures. Um, right now, there's a really cool study going on, actually two really cool studies going on, um, one with uh, calf survival, 
and that's being done through uh, in conjunction between the Pennsylvania Game Commission and Penn State University. And um, so, so that's one really cool study that's going on. Right now um, in Pennsylvania, I believe last I heard, there's about 200 elk that are collared. That's cool. I, one, one thing that just popped in my head, we've been talking about human elk conflict. I feel like the reason why we want to, one, another reason why we want to try to keep elk out from two populated areas is vehicle collisions, right? Um, the more roads that are around, the more, the increased chance that's going to happen. Are we, like, do we see a high amount? I mean, when you drive down the road in Pennsylvania, you're seeing dead deer on the side of the road all the time. Do we, is that like a high mortality rate for elk? On average, about 3% per year. That's that's a lot. So with 1,000 animals, yeah. you're looking at 30. Huh. And that would obviously do a whole lot more damage, depending on the size of the elk. Um, basically, anything other than a calf would be a whole lot more yes. serious. And, of an and that, you know, most of those collisions happen in the spring. You know, um, you have the, the green grass greening up along the roadways first. Elk are grazers. Most of what they eat are going to be grasses, and um, that's when a lot of these elk are hit on the road. Uh, you know, the ones that are hit on the road, most of that happen in the spring. Yeah. Um, to touch a, a little bit again, because that this all led to your comment about seeing the, the collared elk. Um, just a few years ago, um, Kika, Keystone Elk Country Alliance, was able to participate in a really cool program where we purchased the first, um, it's, it's called a low-tech collar. So it's a collar that videos. Um, and so we purchased the collar, the Pennsylvania Game Commission um, actually deployed it, but um, we were able to gather data and video from all the seasons that, um, if you're really interested, part of that is in our 40 story theater, but you were able to see, you know, cow-calf interaction, elks sparring, uh, bulls sparring. You could hear, you know, different, just really cool footage that they were able to gather. And part of that data was where they go, how far do they travel, which you can see those um, data points in the theater. What are they eating? Where are they going? How are, how are they interacting between um, their species and other species? So, you know, again, going to that 40-story theater, you're going to be able to see some of that footage and get some of that information on that program. That's cool. That I did. I did not know that. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> technology, man. It, it, as much as it sucks sometimes with uh, technology, <laughs> with social media and uh, some different issues I had today, um, but technology. I mean, when it comes to something like that, like that's that's amazing. So, when we talk about mortality for elk. Car collisions can be some. Obviously, um, with the hunting season, we have humans taking elk. Some what? illegal kills with okay. crop damage. Um, sadly but true, every year it seems like there are a few elk that are illegally poached. Uh, most of the time, those individuals are caught. Um, and Go. then we have yeah. some elk each year that die of old age. Mm -hmm. And then we have some elk each year that die of brainworm. Uh, no coyote? Coyotes and black bears may take a couple calves each year, okay. but those numbers are so small that, um, you, know, you know, I mean, it, it really doesn't even register 
Um, and that's, you know, that's another reason why they're doing this calf survival study. So the elk calves, not all of them are born the beginning of June. Mm-hmm. Some of them are born, the majority of them are born the beginning of June, and then some of them are born later. Well, they're trying to determine if some of these late calves are surviving, and if they are not surviving, what is killing them. Is it natural causes? Is it the onset of winter? Or is it predation? I I noticed one omission, mountain lions. Um, So here, like we said, we don't have any natural predators here in Pennsylvania as they do out west. Mm -hmm. Out west, you know, they're going to have a mountain lion kill, a wolf kill, and also a grizzly bear kill on their elk herds. Not in Pennsylvania. Not in Pennsylvania. That's going to be a future episode on on the possibility of things like uh, wolves and mountain lions and Bigfoot. Uh, So be looking out for that one. Um, so, <laughs> uh, this, uh, th- listen, this was, this was great. Um, I hope, I-, I know that my listeners learned something by listening to this because I learned a bunch of stuff. Um, so the biggest question more than anything that I have is how can people, including myself, support the Keystone Elk Country Alliance in their mission of conserving the elk herd and conserving their habitat? So um, there's a lot of different ways, you know. Some people, you know, certainly financially, um, you know, we're we're always looking for new donors, new members, people to come to our our fundraising banquets, our conservation banquets, coming here to the center. A purchase in our gift shop certainly helps our mission. Um, but people's talents are also important. So. If you're not able to financially um, help us out, we're always happy to have new volunteers, uh, whether it be someone that can help us. Um, we make hay here on the property. Someone that can volunteer their services as far as our education department, working the trails. We have a lot of different opportunities for do- volunteerism. And, um, you know, so we're very excited with that. You know, they can make um, a donation straight out. They can buy a membership. You know, um, they can be one of our donors of our, our distance learning programs. So maybe you're a, a company or a corporation that would like to fund something that our Con Ed department does. Um, certainly many, many ways. You can get more information on experienceoutcountry.com or certainly by calling the center here. That, yeah, go ahead. Um, like Carla said, we have fundraising, conservation banquets. Um, We have 16 chapters across the state of Pennsylvania, which means in a typical year, we have 16 banquets to raise money. These banquets are a lot of fun. Um, If you've gone to um, wildlife conservation organization banquets, fundraising banquets before, um, there are lots of great prizes. We have a lot of prizes that are unique, um, live auctions. Like Carla said, there's a lots of opportunities um, for volunteerism here at the center. Um, I was uh, talking to our uh, president, our CEO, and he said, you know, where's this fellow from? And I told him that you were from Freeport. And he said, we have a need for a chapter down in that area. <laughs> so if anybody is listening that is in the Freeport area and is interested in starting a new Keystone Elk Country Alliance chapter, um, they should contact one of us um, here at the center. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great organization, 
And uh, it's a lot of fun, especially, you know, when the elk are performing. I mean, any time's a great time to come visit, but, um, you know, during September and October, that's when we really use a lot of volunteers and need them. Well, this has been great. Anything that we've missed? Anything that you're like, hey, we got to get this info out there? I, I think we've uh, touched on most of our... I think so. Um, as far as dis- or as far as conservation education, you know, we not only do the distance learning, we also have a lot of students that come here for field trips, as well as civic groups, uh, you know, and other groups, uh, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. We also have weekend programs every weekend throughout the year, uh, free to the public, um, and we try to mix mix it up. Um, anything from elk to black bears to white-tailed deer to snakes to turtles to tree identification to maple syruping so um we have fun with that as well well hey thank you for coming on this has been this has been great and um you know good luck with uh with all the work the work that you're doing is awesome so good luck and, and keep it up thank you we appreciate that thank you jason thank you Well, that does it for today's episode, and it was another good one. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Ben and Carla and Russell for uh, taking the time to talk to me about this important message, which is conserving the elk herd in Pennsylvania. Uh, I want to leave you with one big thing, and that is if you can make some time, take a day trip, or even better, take an entire weekend drive up to Benazette and visit the Elk Visitor Center, take a drive around in uh, amongst the entire big elk range and look for elk. They truly are majestic animals. I mean, they are absolutely huge. Uh, as you heard in the episode, my wife and I just uh, went for the first time uh, last September and it was an awesome experience to be able to see uh, some elk, and if you go at the right time of year to be able to hear the bulls bugle, it it really you know it really sends chills down your spine, you know, and, and it it's giving me goosebumps right now just even thinking about uh, the last time that we were up there. So I really want to encourage you to visit the uh, Elk Visitor Center. It's free of charge to get in. Uh, of course, you can give a little donation. You can uh, buy a couple goods of merchandise there while you're there that help support that mission. Um, but really, all of the educational programming, everything that they do is all free of cost. So, um, you know, take the time and learn about elk and visit a wonderful area of Pennsylvania, being the Pennsylvania Wilds and the elk uh, country up there. So until next time, stay wild. <laughs>